Welcome, everybody. So today I have my good friend, Katie Gregory. She is an RN. She was a labor and delivery nurse, ICU nurse, um, birth assistant to many home birth midwives in the community, a doula, a childbirth educator, a mom, probably leaving a lot out. Um, she's got a lot of good professional experience too to weigh in. So, Katie, say hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you on this rainy day? It's raining. I'm dry. Yeah. Yeah. Here. Excited. To Heard you had a big Costco trip this morning. How'd that go? It was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Get all stocked up. Costco with four kids mm. in the rain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's good. All right. We did not have rain jackets. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, your youngest is about to turn one. One next week. Mm-hmm. So it's been a journey for you. Yes. So tell me about that. Like when you found out you were pregnant the very first time. The very first time. What year was that? That was 2012. Okay. So almost 10 years ago. I don't want to think of it that way. <laughs> he just turned eight. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, at the beginning of this month. Mm-hmm. I had been preg or I had been married for only three months. Okay. So it was very not expected. And you were already a nurse. I was already a nurse. Okay. I was a nurse and I we were newlyweds. And I was tracking my cycles with this handy dandy app. Mm-hmm. That led to my firstborn. Okay. <laughs> so tracking your cycles to try to get pregnant or to prevent to prevent okay. pregnancy. Okay. Yeah. So it was Christmas Eve. I had worked the night before and crashed in the recliner. Mm-hmm. Then I woke up. My husband wasn't home. He was working. And I was like, something's wrong. Something is not right. And mm-hmm. I just happened to have a pregnancy test. And I took it. And it was positive. Mm-hmm. So then I cried a lot and thought, what am I going to do with mm-hmm. a baby? Okay. <laughs> so you happen to have a pregnancy test. Is that, is that normal? Like, do people just have those just sitting around? I do. Okay. But okay. I don't know that that's normal. Yeah. I don't think it's normal. Well, I think I've actually wondered that because I never do. I mean, the only times that I ever had them was when I thought I was pregnant and I went and bought one, but I never had them sitting around, but I think a lot of people do. Yeah. They well, just kind of keep them. I have since then. Okay. I, um, I had one, it was a two pack because the previous time I thought that I might would, mm-hmm. I might was pregnant. I was late or something like that. And of course automatically started freaking out. And so I had like a two pack. So I had the second of the two pack, uh-huh. but okay. it was Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. So I only had that one and yeah. you have to take at least five. Okay. For it to really be the real deal. Okay. Okay. So uh, we went and had some type of lunch or something with a family mm-hmm. and we got in the car and I was like, I got to tell you something. Yeah. Because I had to tell him right then because we had to go buy more pregnancy tests to really make so sure. You could take four more. Yeah. Because the next day was Christmas yeah. and there was going to be nothing open. Okay. So I think I had, I took like three or four pregnancy tests and they were all positive. Mm-hmm. That was before the ones that said pregnant, not pregnant. Okay. So two pink lines. Two pink lines mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. 
I kept them in my bathroom drawer. Yeah. <laughs> for a long time. That's gross. Um, I think a lot of people keep their pregnancy tests. Yeah. yeah. One of the times I moved, I threw them away, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. But yeah, I've kept, I've kept um, then talking about pregnancy tests, then I've discovered Amazon. You can buy 25 pregnancy tests for very inexpensive. Okay. And so then I just always had those little dippy doos. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's like the next pregnancy I was actually trying to get pregnant. So I needed lots of pregnancy tests to, mm-hmm. I needed to know right mm-hmm. then at mm-hmm. conception as soon as, yeah. or as early on you can know right. I needed to know because, you know, I have so much control over it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. We think we do, huh? Mm-hmm. So two pink <clears throat> lines, you take four more, you're still pregnant, four pregnancy tests later. Mm-hmm. You tell John, mm-hmm. and then what? What do you do? Did you have Facebook back then? This was yes, eight years there was ago, Facebook. Right? Um, oh no, it was top secret. Okay, like you can't tell anyone till twelve weeks. That's okay. the rule. Okay, all right. First trimester, mm-hmm. you have to get through the first trimester. Mm-hmm. Um, we did tell our parents, mm-hmm. and I made an appointment with the doctor that I had been seeing for since I was eighteen, so five years or so. Okay. So you didn't really, like, you didn't think the doctor that you had been seeing since you were 18 would need to be a different doctor. Like, you you thought, okay, well, this is the same OBGYN that I've always seen. Right. So I'm pregnant now. Mm-hmm. So I'll just go to the same doctor. I'll just go to her. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, well, I say that. So... um In nursing school, my introduction into the birthing community um, was my clinical instructor was Mm -hmm. a doula, and she was about to go to midwifery school. Okay. And she- To be a CNM? To be a CNM. Uh Uh-huh. And um, she had shown that we were- on L&D on a Saturday, Mm -hmm. so there was nothing going on because there's no inductions or anything on Saturday. So we watched The Business of Being Born, and that was my introduction into the birthing community, and it was one of those things where I was like, well, one day when I have a baby, I think I would like to have a midwife. I'm going to get a midwife. Mm -hmm. Well, then the way my first pregnancy started, it was such a surprise. I was like, I can't wrap my mind around that. I'm going to this doctor that I know. And um, so I went to her and everything was fine. And she was very supportive of me and my wishes. Mm -hmm. Um, But about 20 weeks, it was after the anatomy scan. So 20, 22 weeks, I just like had this feeling and this gut pull, like I need to swap to midwives. It was nothing the doctor did. It was more of... I wanted to be under the care of midwives in the hospital just so um, things are just different for mm-hmm. patients mm-hmm. under midwifery care as opposed to the OB um, and the people at the hospital, the nurses. I wanted that option. Okay. I, wanted a mid- I wanted to be a midwife patient, not okay. an OB patient at the hospital. And at the time, so this is Middle Tennessee, eight years ago. So at the time... For you to have a midwife attend your birth 
in a hospital. Mm -hmm. Did you ever even consider home birth at that point? That was not even on your radar? At this point in the pregnancy, no. Okay. So you decided, okay, I want to be attended by a midwife because of the model of care. Mm -hmm. In your area, were there a lot of options at that point? Or? There was just one, and that was okay. the Vandy midwives. Okay. So I had to go to Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. um, deliver at Vanderbilt, okay. and there wasn't a pick of, it was a group. So it's whoever's on call. Okay. And, and you could have a water birth there at that time or no? They have labor tubs, okay. but there's no delivery into water. Gotcha. Okay. But I think they had like two tubs or something, and that was a chance that you could get it or could not get it. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you decide that you want to change providers and you do that. Mm-hmm. And was that pretty seamless for you? You just... It was. Okay. I just called, made an appointment with the midwives mm-hmm. and they got all my records faxed over. Um, I didn't have to have any awkward confrontation with the yeah. <laughs> OB yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. And so then... You switch providers and you're just, you're all set at that point? You're ready to go? Or do you feel like with it being your first pregnancy, is that kind of when you start asking questions about like labor and what's going to happen afterwards and what kind of support do I need? Or how did all of that change? I was set on, um, I really wanted an unmedicated delivery. Okay. Um, So I took a 12-week Bradley Method class Mm -hmm. with my husband, Mm -hmm. and we went every week for 12 weeks. Okay. Um, That's a huge commitment. It was, and I was pregnant and working nights, so I slept through most of those classes, but he got a lot out of them. Yeah, yeah. And I knew I wanted a doula. Mm Mm-hmm. So... And you knew what a doula was because of your clinical rotation, or did you not because know? of my clinical rotation? Okay. It was more the business of being born. Okay. And just being in online communities. Okay. Um, Facebook. And so that was that was being talked about even eight years ago. Like that was still I think so, okay. yeah. Um uh, not just on Facebook. Mm-hmm. There was like one group, yeah. Nashville Midwifery Group or something like that. Sure. Um okay. I remember that group. Yeah. And Because I was the first of my friends to have a baby. Okay. Like, Mm -hmm. I was the one paving the way for them. Right. The guinea pig. Um, And so, I guess I did read some books, and I was in, what are those apps? Um, Baby Center. Okay. You also can't have your first pregnancy unless you're in Baby Center. Okay. And there's like a chat board it, within the app that yeah. people put all these crazy things okay. at all times of night. Yeah, so it's <laughs> kind of interactive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was also a lot of stuff on there mm-hmm. that uh, looked at. I don't know if it was a really great source of... Is that how you figured out your due date or did you wait until your first provider like confirmed your pregnancy and um, told you the due date? I think I probably just Googled due date calculator okay. and did that. Um, there's also the, what is it? Go back three months. Mm-hmm. Add, mm-hmm. That's usually, Adelaide. I mean, I remembered mm-hmm. that from school also mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah. Um, so let me just interject right here because due dates can be confusing. And so this is one of those areas where I wanted to kind of talk about some specifics. So due dates 
a pregnancy starts on the first day of the last period. Right. That's what can be so confusing to a lot of people. And I don't know anyone really that knows that. That knows that. Yeah. So that's how we define the pregnancy, like the gestation period is the first day of your last period. And then typically it's 280 days. So that's 40 weeks from the first day of your last period. So it's kind of like a bell curve. So really a normal gestational time would be anywhere from 37 to 42 weeks. So we kind of take that average 40 weeks. We've come up with this very non-scientific way to calculate due dates. And, you know, we kind of assign this day. So that can be exciting to have like this day. It kind of like gives you this thing to like, you know, post about and live all your life about, you know, around and everything. But it's also, it can be hindering later on and we can talk about that. But so just interjecting really quick so due dates first day of the last pregnancy i mean first day of the last period um and then 40 days so usually when people find out they're pregnant and they're trying to figure out how far along they are they're not understanding that the that the first day of their last period is really the first day of their pregnancy, pregnancy. so anyway we'll we'll continue but i just wanted to kind of throw that out there cuz that can be really confusing some people will look at me like how can I already be six weeks and when it's conception a cycle. was? Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. all cyclical and everything about pregnancy and labor and even the postpartum period is very cyclical. So, mm-hmm. um, okay. So you figure out your due date, you have a provider, you switch providers. Now you're with the midwives and you decide that you want doula support. I need a doula. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, um, I interviewed several, which is kind of, well, it was difficult for me to interview because, you know, you think about interview, I need questions, but I had no idea what to expect or mm-hmm. what I needed really. I just knew I needed someone. Um, and so we did two interviews. I did one with my husband and we were like, yeah, sh- we were not vibing with her. Bye. Okay. <laughs> and then I met. So it was more based on personality? Yeah. Okay. And the fact that she said if she didn't answer the phone, she doesn't have good service at her house. And so I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, I need to be able to get in touch with you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then another girl, um, she was not certified yet, mm-hmm. but um, was becoming certified. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't feel like she was a great fit either. Okay. But I was at the chiropractor. Mm-hmm. And my chiropractor had just had um, a baby. And I said, I really need a doula. Do you know anyone? Or well, I don't know, something about a doula. And she was like, my midwife's assistant is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And she's a doula. And her name's Gailey McDougal. And then I start looking and seeing that she lives very close to me. And so I reached out and pleaded her to meet me, even though she wasn't really taking <laughs> on patients at the, or clients at the time. And the rest is history. Yeah. So that was exciting. Um, I mean, in hindsight, looking back, I think about us, we met at Lime Deli, I think, mm-hmm. in Gallatin mm-hmm. on our little square. Um, yeah, so that's exciting for me to think about our little meeting and and just the trajectory of our relationship, too. So, um, all right. So you decide that we're a good fit and you hire me mm-hmm. and we're going to do this birth together. 
So then what? Pregnancy goes normal. Yeah. Any no issues with your first pregnancy? Mm-mm. None. Um, and it was forty weeks, and I was still working as a nurse in the ICU. Did you have an expectation the first time, as far as like going forty weeks, forty-one weeks, thirty-nine weeks? You know, did you think like my you mom were go went early? over? Okay, and John's mom went over, mm-hmm. and so I'm like. I assumed I would go over. Okay. Um, Which is a really good place to be. Yeah. Like, I have so many people who just swear they're going to go early, and then when they don't, they're yeah. so disappointed. And it, I, and I will say, looking back on my next pregnancies, it was always, I always went over, or I always mm-hmm. had in my mind the expectation of going over, and so mm-hmm. it was an easier pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. Um Let's see. I was four days past my due date, and I woke up, and I was so angry mm-hmm. because someone else was having their baby, but I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if I'm not going to have this baby, I just need to go back to work. They need me to work. I can just go work. Yeah. Um, and so then I did what all sane people do, and I started washing my kitchen cabinets. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Hindsight, looking back, yeah, that was a, a sign. <laughs> that was a <laughs> That's huge sign because I'm cussing and crying and, you know, washing cabinets that probably haven't been washed in 40 yeah. years. So, like, when the strangers are walking up to you at Kroger and saying, like, when are you due? Oh, my gosh, you know, um, have you lost your mucus plug yet? Like, you, yeah. should, you could tell them, no, but I'm washing my kitchen cabinets. Right. Mm-hmm. That should be, we should make that be like the normal. Yeah. Like, have you cried yeah, yet? Have right. you screamed? <laughs> have you punched a window out of your car yet? Those are all the signs. Right. I don't know about my mucus plug, but yeah. my husband won't come inside. Right. Yeah. My partner is sitting on the porch. Okay. So you're washing your cabinets and it's four days after your due date. Mm-hmm. And... And my husband calls me and says, hey, why don't you come eat lunch? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, food is what I need. Um, and I go to El Rey, the Mexican restaurant in town. Mm-hmm. And I was like crampy feeling. But I mean, whatever. I'd been crampy feeling. I was sure. 400 weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I slid into the booth and something felt weird. And I was like, hmm, that was strange. Then I'm sitting there, ordered my chimichanga. My mother-in-law's with us also. Okay. And right as our food come out, I'm like, okay, something really not right mm-hmm. or that has never happened before is mm-hmm. happening. And I held the strongest, longest Kegel of my life mm-hmm. and tried to run to the bathroom and my water broke. Okay. Yeah. As soon as I was over the um, toilet. Um, because that weird feeling when I slid in, it was a little... The little pop. The little pop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went back. I tried to clean the toilet up as best I could. And you were able to hold it in. That's yeah. a strong pelvic floor. Yeah. Well, it was. Or, I don't it know was. It still it's is. Trashed That's a different now, but podcast actually, episode. But yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nothing that can't yeah. be put back together by exactly. a wonderful pelvic floor therapist. Yes. Okay. So you your water breaks in the Mexican restaurant with your mother in law and your chimichanga, like patiently waiting. Yeah. And so then, what do you do? I go back and I said, "All right, I don't want you guys to freak out, but 
Mm-hmm. Well, My that's water. a great way to start yeah. any conversation. Of course. You know, they're like deer in the headlights. Right. Um, my water just broke. Uh-huh. John starts freaking out. He knocks his drink over, and I'm like, oh, this is perfect. So I start <laughs> pushing the ice and the water into my lap so it looks like he just spilt it on me instead of amniotic fluid is everywhere. And right. I was like, oh, well, this, we got to go. I'll right. see you later. And um, I just embarrassed. I was embarrassed for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. And I go out to the car. And I wonder why. It's so embarrassing. Like, yeah. that you'd rather have a, a full cup of ice water dumped on you yeah. than just to say, like, hey, I'm having a baby and right. this is really normal. Yeah, it's mm. like whenever you start your period and you yeah. hide the tampons and everything right. to go to the bathroom. Yeah. That was such a big deal Yeah, when I was in middle school, like, putting them down my— Putting them down your sleeve. Yeah. Yeah, in your hoodie pocket. Right. Okay. So water breaks, then you cover it up with water regular water, and then you leave. And yeah. you head straight to the hospital, or what do you do? You go home? No, I wanted a shower. The, okay, all right. And so my husband had to go back to work because mm-hmm. he had he had a meeting with someone that was already set up, and he had to go do it. Mm-hmm. It was a state person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, well, this is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then— it, So even though it was your first pregnancy and your water had just broken, you didn't feel like— oh my gosh, I've got to like rush to the hospital. Like this is happening because you right. weren't having contractions yet? I, not yet. I just, no contractions. just okay. my water had broken. I wasn't. And that was just strictly from education uh-huh. because I had done the 12 week class. And then I'd also taken your class for mm-hmm. four weeks with my friend that mm-hmm. was pregnant. Okay. Um, so, so you feel like the preparation with all of that really helped you not? Yes, I was very rushed. prepared. Okay. And my plan was to labor at home as long as possible and then go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just went home. So now since this is pray your pardon, um, what did your mother-in-law think about all of this? Mm-hmm. And I'm just asking because, not because I know your mother-in-law specifically, yeah. but like, know neighbors yeah family always have opinions about things like water breaking yeah um well she was excited but because my husband went to work and I went home yeah I'm in the shower like just trying to process what the heck is going on and what's Mm -hmm. about to happen and Mm -hmm. just all the things you know (sighs) I was really thankful to go home by myself just to kind of like have that space. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I hear a little, oh. Katie, are you okay? Okay. And she came over um, to be with me. And it's funny because like I thought I didn't want anyone to be around or mm-hmm. anything like that also. Mm-hmm. And I had already told it all of our parents, like, I don't want you to come to the hospital. You're mm-hmm. not coming to the hospital. We'll let you know when to come. Yeah. Um, but... She came over because she didn't want me to be alone. Mm-hmm. I immediately started having diarrhea after my water broke. Okay, yeah. So I completely cleansed all of that out. Um, I also noticed that the fluid leaking had meconium. It was okay. brown. Okay. Um, and you, again, knew that through just preparation, through your classes and kind I, of- I knew that and I didn't know that. I didn't want to believe it. So... Okay. Um, Someone else that I knew that had had a baby and their mm-hmm. water broke first at home. Um, I was like, so what color is it? And she's like, it's not a color. Okay. Um, 
So you knew that because yours was a color. Yeah. Any color. I assumed it was something. And then I called you or texted you or something, and it was confirmed that that was probably meconium. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Okay. I guess I called the doctor. I don't remember Mm -hmm. that part. Maybe I did. I'm sure I did. Just gave him probably a heads up. Yeah, just said, hey, my water broke. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Or not doctor, midwife. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is Preg Your Pardon's favorite podcast growth and distribution platform. And the best part, it's free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, maybe you should consider Anchor. If you're interested, you can download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Once again, you can download that free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So you're at home, leaking fluid, having diarrhea. You never ate your chimichanga. I did. Okay. And so you're probably hungry. Mother-in-law is with you. Then my mom comes. Then your mom comes too. Okay. So it's a Because I felt like if my mother-in-law's here, my mom should be here. Right. Right. Okay. (laughs) So you're you're home and you're waiting on your husband to come back. Mm -hmm. And he gets back. Pretty soon, and then you yeah. guys just go in, or do you? No, I was contracting at that point. Okay, so we're just bouncing on a ball. Yeah, everybody's excited. Okay, baby's coming. Um, my mom and mother-in-law leave, and it's interesting now. Just I've never thought about this until now, but thinking back, and as soon as they left, my contractions started to intensify. Okay, yeah. Um, and we hear that a lot now. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Now it's like, duh, the but I've never. aspect of that. Sure. So they started to intensify, um, and I was laboring on the toilet, and John got freaked out and was like, hey, I think we just need to go. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't wait for you to come to our house. Right. We just went straight to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking back, mistake number one. Okay. <laughs> um. And so, yeah, we went to the hospital and got checked in. Okay. So you've prepared, you've hired a doula, you waited at home a little while for kind of labor to start, and you get there. Did you think, okay, so this is the first time that you've done this, and your water's broken, you're past your due date, and you are having contractions. So did you think, like... Did you have an expectation of how far along you were going to be or how really, dilated your cervix would be? Did you have any? I really didn't. Okay. Um, I knew I was in labor. Mm-hmm. I knew I wasn't going to be sent home. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I probably had like concerns of what if I get there and I'm two centimeters and I'm going to be here forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't have any question that it was because especially by the time I got there, mm-hmm. it was the real deal. Mm-hmm. Like I was... 
knocking them out. Mm-hmm. And when when you say real deal, I'm going to interject again. Um, what we mean by that now is contractions are longer, stronger, and closer together. So contractions can kind of start and they can be all over the place. Even um, even early on, they can be pretty close together. And especially after somebody's water breaks, they can be pretty close together and pretty intense. But then sometimes they'll space out or they'll get less intense. So the question is always, are your contractions longer, stronger, and closer together? That's kind of the hallmark sign of labor contractions because the labor contractions are the ones that actually change your cervix. You can be contracting all day long and be five minutes apart, but if they're not longer, stronger, and closer together, then they're probably not changing your cervix. So you knew at that point yours were getting longer, stronger, closer together. Mm -hmm. You felt like, all right, this is it. Okay. So you're at the hospital. You're in labor. You're all checked in. Am I there yet or not? Yeah, you came there when I was in triage. Okay. And Oh, yeah. um, You said, hey, um... Your dad's here. Okay. Mm-hmm. He beat me to the hospital. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. I do yeah. remember that. So oh, everyone just excited. neglected my. <laughs> don't come to the hospital till I tell you. We'll right. let you know. And then they're all there waiting. Yeah. Um. And I actually I was five centimeters and okay. I very effaced seventy five eighty percent effaced. So okay. um. That was really, I, I was not expecting to be five centimeters. Right. So I was very happy with that. And it and was, in hindsight, we know that you labor fairly quickly. Right. In comparison to the average um, length of most people's labors. Mm-hmm. And so for a first time labor, that is really short. Mm-hmm. Like your water breaks, you go home, have contractions for a few hours, get to the hospital and you're five yeah. centimeters. Because that's almost... Probably eight years ago, it was defined as active labor. We've redefined that now. So you're almost right there in what we call active labor, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, there's really no stopping it at that point once you're in active labor. Right. Which is usually when people want to try to get to their birth setting, whether it's home or, you know, have their midwife come join them or get to the hospital or birth center. That's usually about when uh, we usually recommend people to kind of plan on being in their birth spaces when they're in active labor. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you were in active labor. Your dad was there. I was there. Um, I'm still not clear about where the chimichanga went. Did it get boxed up? Did it get... It oh, we're was getting just to where the chimichanga came. I had damage. a little bit of okay. the chimichanga. Okay. A little bit. Okay. Not Because I was like, I'm going to eat a couple bites, but it was not even half gone. Gotcha. So it is in my belly. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. That is some new information we didn't have earlier. For a short time. All right. So you're all checked in. You're ready to go. You're triaged. Everything's confirmed that you're having a baby today. Mm -hmm. That's what you're thinking. Today. Probably pretty soon. Tonight. It was shift change in the evening. So um, the midwife that was there during the day was one of my the midwives that I liked and I was really excited, but she was like, hey, yeah, I'm leaving. I've been here 12 hours. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is actually who you're getting. Yeah. Um, And they checked me into the um, labor suite. And as soon as I got in there, I took my clothes off and Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, let's get in the tub. Yeah. Okay. Um, And so we're talking probably about 12 hours since you were cleaning your cabinets. 
That Probably. Okay. Yeah. Almost 12, mm-hmm. 10 to 12. Okay. I probably got to sleep till, I probably slept till eight o'clock then. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you're laboring in the tub, doula's there, partner's there. Mm-hmm. Um, midwife shift change has happened and you're all squared away with your new provider. Mm-hmm. So so now you are a first-time pregnant laboring person in a hospital setting and you have expectations about what's going to happen or you are still just sort of winging it? Like you feel like pretty good about everything or? um, I feel, yeah. I mean, I was our, I think that it went, my labor was progressing so fast. I mm-hmm. was kind of into that animal mode of not really knowing mm-hmm. what was going on, mm-hmm. on anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I feel like it was, it was going well. Okay. It, it was going how I envisioned it to go up okay. until that point. Like okay. we, labor starts, the doula comes, we're there, we're in, you know, right. we're going to labor at the hospital and then mm-hmm. our baby's going to be born. Right. Um, but then while in the tub, the vomit happened. Oh. And with every single contraction, I started to vomit mm-hmm. until I had nothing left. And then I just dry heaved every single contraction. So that's where we get to meet the chimichanga again. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I always tell people whenever they're worried and concerned about their husbands or their partners, how they're going to be able to handle um, just parenthood and mm-hmm. birth. I'm like, they'll surprise you mm-hmm. because John was the person that if someone vomited around him, he was vomiting. Right. And then, you know, he got thrown up. And then there's a whole, yeah. For hours. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like the scene in, I don't know if I'm showing my age, but the scene in Stand By Me where they're doing like this flashback talking about like this hot dog, no, a pie eating contest and like mm-hmm. somebody vomits and then like the whole table starts vomiting and then there's vomit everywhere. So, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot of vomit in parenthood. There is. So welcome. Yeah. Yep. And labor I, is a good time to kind of go ahead and get that out. And yeah. Open. Like it's a lot happen. of bodily fluids. Yeah. Poop, vomit, yeah. blood, pee. Well, I always tell people, you know, labor really doesn't just birth a child. It births your motherhood and it prepares you to parent. And that sounds really sweet and everything. But what I really mean is like, there's going to be a lot of poop and pee and vomit and blood and runny noses and crying. Yeah. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And it's beautiful. It is beautiful, but it's also messy. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So you're vomiting in the labor tub Mm -hmm. and... John's good with all of that. He, he surprised you. Okay. Yeah. And so then what? So then it's time to get on the monitor for a bit because when you're in the hospital, um, most of these settings, you know, if you're in the water, they will Doppler you so many times in the hour, mm-hmm. um, but you still have to get a strip, at least a 10-minute on the sh- uh, monitor strip. Yeah. So I got out to do that, and um, my contractions were just bam, 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 bam on top of each other. Because mm-hmm. without the water, you didn't have, like mm-hmm. you had gravity now. Right. Kind of, mm-hmm. And um, I believe I was seven centimeters at this point. Okay. And we had been there how long? 
Um, it was hours? before midnight. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Handful of hours. Okay. Three, four hours. Yeah. Um, but the little resident, the, o, the OB resident rushes in because my contraction pattern is out of control. Okay. Um, and they tell me that they're going to have to give me a drug called tributylene mm-hmm. to stop my contractions. Okay. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Why do we want to stop them? I thought contractions get the baby here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at this point I tried nitrous oxide. Oh, did they have nitrous back then? They I had nitrous. Remember. Okay. Um, it was new. Mm-hmm. But I tried it, and it just made the vomit worse. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my contractions were out of control. They're threatening tributylene. If the tributylene doesn't work, we're going to have to take you um, and do a C-section. Mm-hmm. And also with that cervical check, she told me that my cervix had begun to swell. Okay. Because every time I had a contraction, I vomited. Mm-hmm. So it was pushing the baby's head down, mm-hmm. causing my cervix to swell. Because what it sounds like um, is your contraction pattern was concerning to them that you were having, that your uterus was hyperstimulated. Yes. So it wasn't that the contractions were um, changing your cervix. They were not productive, mm-hmm. which a lot of times we think about non-productive contractions as being too slow or too weak. Right. But a hyperstimulation of the uterus can also be very unproductive, and then it can also be dangerous for baby. Right. So, so your uterus was hyperstimulated probably because of dehydration is what it kind of sounds like. Mm-hmm. You're vomiting a lot, which is causing a um, like a spasmodic episode with like your your GI and babies pushing down, causing your cervix to swell. So you've got a lot of things going on. So you went from, all right, we're trucking along. I did everything right. I've got my doula. My labor is going really well to all of a sudden I might have to have a C-section. Yeah. Pretty quickly. Like just sitting here speaking, I'm thinking and remembering things. As soon as we got in the room, they started getting the baby warmer ready. Mm -hmm. And so since then I've worked as a labor and delivery nurse and I'm like, they're getting the warmer ready this is really happening yeah. and it's going to happen soon and um yeah so i went from that to c section and i think i was 12 hours 12ish hours into since my water had broke okay um and my contractions had started within 30 yeah 45 minutes of my water breaking mm-hmm. and um i was tired and the C-section thing, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to be awake, so mm-hmm. let's just do the epidural. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got an epidural. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Vanderbilt is a teaching hospital, mm-hmm. and I'm all for teaching. I mm-hmm. want to learn. But I was like, hey, I need someone that is going to be able to put this in while I lay down because there's no way I can sit on the side of this bed mm-hmm. and do the cat and do like this um, while I'm having these contractions. But um, he did. He came in and I got my epidural and I took a nap. Okay. So that slowed down the contractions. It did slow okay. down the contractions. 
Had they already started slowing down before the epidural, or did that is that kind of what? I think the commotion down? of everything. Uh-huh. Yeah, lights coming on, mm-hmm. new people coming in, and telling me who they were, and all this kind of stuff. Right. Okay. Um, slowed it all down. Okay. Okay, and so you you're able to rest, and baby's still looking good on the monitor. Mm-hmm. Contraction pattern is getting. Slower, but too yeah. slow? Or? Too slow because okay. they started pit. Okay. Pitocin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So you have the epidural, you rest, then the contractions are too slow, so then they have to do Pitocin. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Pitocin, for anybody that doesn't know, is the synthetic form of oxytocin, which is the hormone that our body produces naturally um, throughout our life, but um, it kind of gets its claim to fame during labor because that's what causes the uterus to contract. So they give you Pitocin and that helps the contractions? Does it kind of start to yes. in uh-huh. a better pattern? And actually, before they gave me the Pitocin, they, I was um, complete. Okay. So the epidural, I uh, relaxed, took a nap, and within a couple hours, I was complete. I was 10 centimeters. Okay. So you got the epidural that was able to help you relax, probably calm down your nervous system. Um, and it probably also physically helped your pelvis to relax, like all of your pelvic muscles mm-hmm. to relax. Okay, so then explain why they would give you Pitocin because um, we think about Pitocin helping the contractions get into a pattern so that you can become completely dilated. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that you were completely dilated after the epidural, because mm-hmm. that alone helped your contractions get to a productive pattern, get into mm-hmm. a productive pattern. So you're complete. So why would they give you Pitocin? Well, because then the contractions were not coming quick enough to be able to push okay. Okay. appropriately. Okay. Um, and I, this epidural was so strong, I could not there's a sweet spot with epidurals Mm -hmm. and I have had clients who have epidurals that can get on all fours and Mm -hmm. push. Mm -hmm. That was not this epidural. This epidural was someone has to lift my leg for me. I could not move my legs. I couldn't turn or anything like that. Um, So that's what kind of epidural this was. And um, I pushed. The Pitocin was started so that my Contractions could be in a good pattern for pushing. And I pushed, and I pushed, and I pushed. Okay. Do you feel like in hindsight you started pushing too soon? Probably. Yeah. Um, and then we labored down. So then they, I sat up um, and let gravity help push him down a little bit. And I napped. Mm-hmm. And I pushed some more. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I napped. Mm-hmm. Um, so... How long did you end up pushing? About four and a half hours. Okay. And now, knowing what you know, in working with clients as a nurse and as a doula and as a assistant to lots of midwives, is four and a half hours pretty normal? Do you feel like you were given more time um, in the hospital setting? Is that something that, like, say, a first-time pregnant person should be expecting? What do you have to say about being able to 
four and a half hours in a hospital. I feel very blessed mm-hmm. to have been able to push four and a half hours. And yeah. then it goes back to that gut feeling of, I need to switch to the midwives. Mm. Because had I been with the other provider, mm-hmm. I would have had a C-section. Okay. Um, because most hospital settings allow around three hours for pushing. Right. Especially someone who has had their water broke for mm-hmm. nearly 24 hours with meconium mm-hmm. and all of that. So mm-hmm. I feel very fortunate that I was able to still have a vaginal delivery. Yeah. Um, and he was forced to delivered also. Okay. So that was, um, honestly, I think that was probably the scariest part yeah. of all of it was that and um, talk about you're welcome to parenthood. Like, it, bam, here's this kind of like scary decision you have to make because they were talking about vacuum or forceps. And mm. I remember having the conversation, like, what's better? What What do I want to do? Mm-hmm. And you advised me, you said, you want them to do whatever they are the most proficient and comfortable with. Right. And yeah. this doctor was the king of forceps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and forceps really are better when it comes to like, okay, is this an issue where baby's just still too high or is this an issue where baby is just not in the right position as far as like which part of the head is presenting? Mm-hmm. And so I do think that for you, from what I remember, it was more of a positional issue. Mm-hmm. Maybe his head was turned a little bit. So we typically want babies to be um, presenting with the back of their head presenting first, so the occipital lobe. Um and if babies aren't presenting that way, then sometimes they can take the forceps and just turn them so that that occipital lobe can be the presenting part so it can kind of squish through because that's where that soft spot is. Um, versus vacuum is typically done when baby is just still too high. And that could be a positional issue too, but typically you have to have baby down far enough to even use forceps. So a skill set would be really important whenever mm-hmm. you're trying to decide, like, what am I going to do? Um, and also just knowing, like, is this a station issue? Is baby is baby's station low enough to be able to use forceps? Do we need vacuum assistance to actually get baby to come down? You know, there's so much to consider. So um, it's it's unfair to ask, you know, a laboring person and their partner to make that decision in the heat of the moment. So another reason why you would want to do some preparation ahead of time and kind of understand the terminology and why one would be used over another and um, who may have a better skill set to, to do that. So I'm sure that was pretty scary. Um, okay. So your baby's born. Mm-hmm. You've labored all day. And I- on half a chimichanga. Yeah. That is no longer in your body. Um, and your baby's born using forceps. So what did that look like? Um, did your baby have any? There was a lot of people in the room. And I know your baby, so I'm going to call him Sam. Okay, so. Sam, yeah. <laughs> so did Sam have any bruising, any issues after he the did. forceps? He yeah. had um, little abrasions on his head um, and some bruising. Um. I think that he was, it was definitely a positional thing because he also had some bruising on his forehead. Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably from turning. Yeah. And he was OP at the beginning of labor. Yeah. Just so that everybody can get a visual again. 
Um, so OP, so what we talked about earlier was that occipital lobe. We want that occipital lobe, which is the back of the head, to be presenting first, which would make that occipital lobe anterior. So that just means the occipital lobe is in the front. So we want that. We don't want the occipital lobe to be posterior, which is in the back. So typically when babies are born with bruising on their forehead, we can probably assume that at some point the forehead was hitting the pubic bone, which would mean that the occipital lobe was pointing toward the back. So when she says OP, that's what she's talking about. So which would make sense? It would also make sense why you had cervical swelling. It would make sense why you had this like rocking contraction pattern that all of a sudden was not bringing a baby and it wasn't dilating your cervix. And, you know, so you were having some issues there because we need all participants to kind of work together. So we need, you know, the uterus and the cervix and the baby to kind of all work together. And it sounds like if Sam was kind of in a wonky position there that, you know, wasn't able to put even pressure on the cervix. Right. Okay. So you've got this brand new baby. Mm -hmm. It's all bruised up. Yeah. Probably a little swollen. Yeah. And you're swollen and you can't feel your legs. Yeah. And you're hungry. Probably. Yeah. So what's so what's all that like? So this is your first. Is it what you expected? Is it um, kind of what you expected, or kind of and no? Um, I, I mean, yeah. I think that's like it's. It was just what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, they did. I did have a second degree tear, and so. While she repaired that, I just held this little squirmy baby, and um, I did get some food, fruit. Did you assume that you were going to tear? Probably, yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like. I just wonder if that's a pretty common assumption the first time, Mm -hmm. Um, even like with preparation and stuff. Like, do people... Yeah. Kind of going into it, think I'm probably going to tear. Like hope for the best, but expect it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I wasn't surprised Mm -hmm. that I tore. Okay. And so you you stayed in the hospital a day, two days? What was that like? Two days, two nights, two more nights. Okay. Um, It was, I guess it was okay. Yeah. It was not my bed. Okay. And... Yeah. I I don't think that I was getting as uh, great a use of the resources, lactation and stuff like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But it was just being in the hospital, eating hospital food. Okay. So first baby, you do all the preparation stuff that you can think of, take multiple classes, hire a doula. Um, Your plan was to have an unmedicated vaginal delivery, and you ended up with an epidural Pitocin um, in a hospital stay with um, a repair, forceps delivery. So what, do you feel like there was a pivotal moment that, that things changed for you, or do you feel like it was setting? And I'm only asking you because I know your birth stories. I know all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I was really fortunate to be able to be with you for all of them, but, um, 
I guess, how, how did your expectation of what you were going to, of what your birth was going to look like, meet up with how it really unfolded? And what do you think were, was the differences? Like what, what changed that? Right. I think the turning point was the whole, your uterus is overstimulated and Mm -hmm. we're going to have to start doing these, 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 or this, this, and this. Okay. Um, because then fear crept in. I wasn't scared before. Okay. Um, okay. Those are fear. Those those things scared me. A C-section scared me. Mm-hmm. Um, your baby, my baby being in distress scared me, even mm-hmm. though he wasn't. Um, so that was the turning point. Okay. Um, I feel like I was, <clears throat> I was in control of the contraction or, I was on top of the contractions and I was able to maintain control over and um, that once I was fearful, I I don't think I was able to. Do you feel like, okay, so I know the next, with your next pregnancy, you didn't choose a hospital birth. Um, And we can talk about that a little bit, but do you feel like, you were adequately supported by your provider and did that weigh in to your decisions about your next births or what about the hospital setting or your provider or any of the interventions that you got do you think was the most important factor in why you chose to have a home birth the next time? Um, Well, because no matter what your provider, whether they're in the hospital, um, a birth center or home, they have guidelines and policies that they follow. And obviously the policies in the hospital are a lot stricter. Um, and so I do feel like the midwives were supporting me as best they could in their setting. Um, they have to go by the policies of the hospitals. They also have to go by the policies of the physicians that they are collaborating with. Um, so I did feel supported by them in that setting, but the way, um, and I struggled with like being disappointed with my birth because like I already said, I was, I do feel blessed that I was able to have a vaginal delivery and not have a C-section, but at the same time, I just knew it could have been different. And Mm -hmm. so I struggled a lot and had, um, I mean, probably, I, it was never diagnosed, but PTSD from it and mm-hmm. trauma from the way my birth played out so mm-hmm. differently than what I had expected. Um, and I just knew that it could be different. And I knew that although I had, he was, he's, he was perfect and he did just have a little bruising and, mm-hmm. you know, I just had a demolished pelvic floor, <laughs> right? That um, it could be different. And I didn't want it to be that way again. Okay. And so that's what drove me to really dive into the possibility of an out-of-hospital birth. Okay. So after you recovered and you had time to kind of think about it, you felt like the setting more than the provider the factor. Okay. If I look back on my first birth, the very first um, intervention that I chose was getting in my car and going to the hospital. Okay. Right. That definitely was the first thing. 
Um, and because my labor was fast and as you know, I have fast labors, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a huge difference between that first labor versus the rest of them. Mm-hmm. So, and we don't have to go through your next birth story like step by step, but do you want to just kind of, you know, tell us the Cliff Notes version of how your next birth was different than your first birth? Yeah. So the next time was two years later. Um, I was 41 weeks. Again, thought I was never going to have a baby again or never going to actually go into labor. But um, I started contracting in the middle of the night, ignored the contractions, got in the shower about four o'clock in the morning, noticed there was some blood. My husband woke up. Um, I was using the bathroom. He was talking to the talking to you, the midwife, not the doula now. Right. So at this point, for anybody that's uh, trying to keep up here, um, at this point, I am now a midwife, and Katie has hired me to be her midwife for her home birth. Yeah. Um, and John literally said, I mean, I don't think it's going to be in the next hour or anything anytime soon, but mm-hmm. today is the day. And I was using the bathroom. I had this, like, the whole, I feel like I'm going to have a bowel movement. Um, And I literally felt her drop into my pelvis. Mm -hmm. And I stood up and I said, this is happening now. And I was on my way. About 30 minutes away. (laughs) We live on two opposite sides. We don't even have, we don't even live in that big of a town. But we live on, like, at that point, we lived on... Yeah. Most opposite sides that you can possibly live on. Gailey's <laughs> up on the mountain and I was down by the lake. Right. <laughs> um, and I had the most intense back pain ever. It felt like my back, my I could just feel my pelvis being stretched open. And I got in the bat in the shower and I was on my knees with the water on my back, my lower back where it was hurting. Um and my poor husband. <laughs> he's on the phone with Gailey on speakerphone, and she says, okay, John, I'm not going to make it. (laughs) He's like, no, you are going to make it. You are. You're okay, right? You're all right, Kate. And um, I know. I think I remember being more worried about him. Like, yeah. Okay, I need to tell him something, and it's not going to be fun for him to hear. And I was on my knees, and I said, there's something down there. What is that? And he was like, it's a water balloon, <laughs> and it was my waters, and it just broke like a water balloon, mm-hmm. and then there her eyebrows were, mm-hmm. and it's so crazy because my body just did it, mm-hmm. and I didn't think about it or anything like that, but then there's a calm between those contractions, mm-hmm. and so she's born up to her eyebrows her eyebrows yeah her eyebrows are showing and then like at some point I guess the next push her nose was because he I was trying to calmly explain to him what we needed Mm -hmm. I was like because our birth kit was not in the bathroom it was in our bedroom Mm -hmm. and I said hey I need you to go get the bulb syringe open it and we need some towels and you need to get pants on And (laughs) he said, okay, okay, but there is stuff coming out of her nose. Is that okay? I was like, that's exactly what we want to happen. Yeah, yeah. And um, he said, she looks just like Sam. And the next contraction, her whole 
big little body came out Mm -hmm. and she was screaming in pink Mm -hmm. and we had a baby unassisted in our shower. Yeah. Yeah. And everything was fine and she was fine and you showed up to help clean up. Yeah. Because the placenta, everything was done. Yeah. By the time. Yeah. You got there. So really, really, really different than the first one. Mm -hmm. Um, So no time to be afraid. No. No time to be afraid at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I acknowledged that it was, in fact, true labor about 5 o'clock when he woke up, and she was born at 5.30. Right. So okay, there was no time. Um, there was also no one to put the fear off on because mm-hmm. I had to, like, tell him what to do. Or, right, yeah. You know, help him not freak out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from my perspective, I'm sitting here listening to these, like, two very different birth stories coming from the same human that could be walking around Kroger or Target or anywhere. And I'm thinking about all the things that a new pregnant person just has to hear, they have to wade through, and did do you remember experiencing any of that? with your first pregnancy, like the questions and the comments. And then I want to talk about um, just how that lined up with the actual births. So like, what was your experience? I mean, we live in a pretty small town and people, you know, may have more. Um, I feel like majority, not everyone, Majority of people want to tell you the horror stories, mm-hmm. the bad stuff mm-hmm. um, about pregnancy, about delivery, about new parenthood, mm-hmm. All only the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, gosh. So all of my babies had summer birthdays. Okay. Ugh, you've got to be pregnant in the summer. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, poor you. It's going to be a long summer. And I, you know, I just got, especially after the first one, um, I was like, you know, I really enjoy having them in the summer. It's actually better because I don't have to worry about sick season and da-da. And I just gave them reasons to shut up, like, mm-hmm. after know, the first time. After the first time. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at is like, I wonder how, how that affects your first labors. Too, yeah. You know, because people say so many things to you the mm-hmm. first time and did you find yourself believing that, not believing them? Do you ever remember a time where you thought like, okay, well, it's happening. Like all the horror stories I, I heard, you know, I yeah. guess that's happening. Or were you able to shield yourself from that more? Mm. Like how? No, I don't think I did shield myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't necessarily, um, because they do. Like it's... <laughs> We live in the Bible Belt, so let's just say church Church, is a great time to go and get Jesus and opinions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it is. Mm -hmm. And so like church, work, all of it, I think you just get to that point where you no longer want to be in public, period. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to see or talk to anyone because I don't want to hear what they have to say. Oh, my gosh, are you never having that baby? Mm -hmm. How many's in there? Um and it does, it weighs on you because, mm-hmm. well, yeah, maybe I am never going to have this baby because right. I was so angry because I was still pregnant. And mm-hmm. I remember, so his birthday was uh, September 4th and so Labor Day 
mm-hmm. was that Monday. Mm-hmm. And, oh, Labor Day, it's a good day. I, my father-in-law said that to me, bless. Mm-hmm. And I remember <laughs> looking at him like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my mother-in-law was just like, yeah, let's not say stuff like that to right, her, okay? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, people are so negative. Um, negative about just pregnancy, uh, what it does to your body, the f- and having a newborn. Like, mm-hmm. really, if you think about it, that I don't. They don't tell you. Everyone says, "Oh, there's nothing like it. It's the best feeling mm-hmm. in the world." But then, all in the same breath, they're like, "You're also never going to sleep again." Right. Yeah. So, so here comes a train. Yeah. <laughs> in case that's loud to our listeners. So, the negativity. Um, that seems to show up more for first timers. And and maybe like you said earlier, because you're able to shield yourself better mm-hmm. after you do this the first time, then you can you actually have a context where you can reply to and you don't feel like you're just having to sit there and like hear the comments, but you can actually have a conversation like, well, that wasn't my experience right. or whatever that might be. What well, and you feel like you've got um You've got some experience under your belt. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you can't kind of ward it off because you don't know. Mm-hmm. And you don't know I you're not an expert. This person has three kids. They're an expert compared to mm-hmm. me. I've never mm-hmm. had more than a dog. Right. Um, and so I don't think you feel confident mm-hmm. in your feelings and even in your excitement because um negativity, the fact that I want to wanted an unmedicated birth. I got all kinds of negative comments about that. Right. Um, Not support. Right. Right. And that's what people need. They need support. Mm -hmm. No matter what their birth plan is, Mm -hmm. even if they want a scheduled cesarean, they Mm -hmm. need support for that. Right. And um, people who are going to help them navigate those decisions in those times instead of someone who's just going to berate them for something so and I hear that all the time I mean I have people just you know cry to me in my office that all they're hearing is horror stories and they're getting you know met with so much negativity from their family members especially if they're planning an unmedicated birth and a home birth especially um so what why do you think that that's the case like why do you think there's so much negativity surrounding how we discuss pregnancy and labor and delivery and the newborn period and all of that. I wonder where that comes from. Um, I think it comes from people's own insecurities mm-hmm. and that maybe their birth stories and their experiences didn't go how they expected or how they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they push that off on other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they push off what happened to them. And, and maybe they don't even know that their experience wasn't great. Right. Because there's so many times also that people have told me their experience and it sounds like hell to me. Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, but it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe because it's different than what everyone they know has ever done. Yeah. And they don't know anything about it. Yeah, Um, I think you're right. And I think that's true for a lot of things, obviously, like until you 
have more of a context you really can't understand. Um, and I, it, it is pretty normal in our society to have a medicated birth in a hospital setting with all the interventions that are offered. So I think because that's the norm, anytime someone hears that someone is doing something outside of what's normally expected or conditioned to believe um, that we maybe get a little defensive because we didn't do that. Right. Maybe our own, like you're saying, you know, it, it makes us feel a little insecure. Like, well, I wonder why I didn't even think about that. Or I wonder why I didn't get to do that. Maybe they were planning that too and they weren't right. able to. And so um, I, what I would like is for us to have more. So for whatever reason, your birth did not end up the way that you expected it the first time, but you still have somehow the capacity to speak with people compassionately about their birth choices regardless and not, you know, from a place of like, well, good you luck. don't want to have an epidural. <laughs> Let me tell you, I didn't either. And this is what happened yeah. to me. So I wonder how we can get to the point where we can be more compassionate around everybody's choices without that interfering so much with our own, um, you know, with our own context of how we feel about the decisions that we made. Yeah. I wonder how we could do that better. I don't know. That's not really a question you have to answer now. It's something I want to think about because obviously I'm coming at, at it from a professional standpoint and from a place of, you know, trying to understand why people get defensive about other people's birth choices. Because on paper, that doesn't make sense. No. Why would anybody care? But it, they do. And mm -hmm. we all know that because, I mean, we're faced with that a lot. Um, as pregnant people, we get asked a lot of questions and given a lot of advice. And I think even right now in the environment that we're in with the pandemic and everything, we, we also see people like, you know, discussing private health matters with other people out of context. And right. so I think there is a... There is something there where it does trigger the deepest, most personal insecurities that we may have about the decisions that we make for our bodies. Mm -hmm. And somehow we we translate that into um, a right to give other people opinions. Yeah. And so anyway, it's just interesting to hear you talk about your birth stories and know that somehow you were able to survive all of your births yeah. and still be, and, and they're all very different, um, and, and still be able to navigate languages and conversations and interactions with people um, in a capacity to help them make informed decisions productively. Right. And I do have to consciously think about, because epidural, like that epidural with my first delivery um, it was not good for me. Mm -hmm. Of course, I didn't feel pain, mm -hmm. and it did serve a purpose, but it didn't help me. It mm -hmm. made it as far as getting the baby out because I 100% feel like it was too strong, and I couldn't feel to push, and it's what made everything so long. Um, so that doesn't sound like a that wasn't a good epidural for me. So right. I have to be careful whenever people are talking about epidurals because. I don't want to be like, oh, epidurals suck. You're not going to be able to push your baby out. You're not going to be able to, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. um, because like I said earlier, 
there are some epidurals that yeah. are great. Because that was your story. And that yeah, made that was story. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a sweet spot. And mm-hmm. if you know the two, like there's a great epidural and there's a bad epidural. If you know those are the possibilities and you, you know, choose that, then that's great. And I want to support you in that. Mm-hmm. Um, epidurals aren't good for me because. <laughs> right. And, and so an epidural is something that everybody kind of knows about. They talk about it kind of like cervical dilation. Like even lay people will walk up to you and ask you, are you going to have an epidural? And, yeah. you know, so there's like some things that it seems like there's a pretty good base knowledge of in our society. But then there's some things like, hey, your pregnancy actually started on the first day of your last period. Did you know that? Right. No, but I know what an epidural is. Yeah. Or do you know hey, a lactation consultant? Right. Do you know that you may need pelvic floor therapy at six weeks, right. even if you have a very normal, spontaneous vaginal delivery? You still pass. Do you a know human. that midwives are like a real thing? Do you know that that's like that's happening? Yeah. So, what were some of your misconceptions? Like looking back now, um, and you've. You've since had two other children too. Let's let everybody know. Three. So you had th- <laughs> you had other children. <laughs> okay. So let's just quickly like so you're you've had home births and another hospital birth like the 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 plot thickens y'all. Yeah. So let's just catch us up and then I want to ask you a couple of questions about um just you know kind of misconceptions that you might have had before you had Sam. Okay. So you want me to tell about how the next two births went? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the next birth mm-hmm. um, was another 41 and one week mm-hmm. um, home birth that thankfully John got everyone there before right. he was born. Yep. Um, <laughs> and so that was great. That was actually probably if I had to choose a best birth, mm-hmm. that one was it because uh, it was still fast. Yeah. It was, but everyone was there. Um, and then the last birth, um, at 38 weeks, prenatal visit, we discovered she was breech. And I meant two more births since your unassisted birth. We oh, talked about your first two yeah, births. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. gotcha. But I got you now. Three births since your hospital birth. Right. So okay. four births total, um, medicated hospital birth, and then unassisted home birth, and then fully assisted home birth. And number four... She turned breech at 38 weeks, and we went in to do an ECV, which is um, external cephalic version, where they try to flip her from being breech to being head down. That was unsuccessful, and she was a C-section. Okay. So, it's been a ride. Yeah. I've, the only type of birth I won't have will be a V-back. Right. <laughs> So you've already made those accommodations. Because yeah. I did see, and only our local listeners are going to understand the humor in this, but I did see recently um, pictures from the gala. And the gala has been um, a real boost to my business over the last oh, few yeah. years. Let me just it put it is. like yeah. that. So I fully expected um, to get a few phone calls after the gala, but it won't be from you, I'm assuming. No, okay, I didn't go. okay so hospital birth unassisted birth um assisted i guess attended um home birth and you tore with your 
third too. So you had another repair, mm-hmm. and repairs can be done at home. They can right on your bathroom floor if we have to. Yeah, um, and then a C-section. Okay, so you've kind of done a little bit of everything uh, professionally and personally when it comes to birth. Mm-hmm. So looking back, what were some of your? Did you have any misconceptions about? Um, midwives or due dates or what pregnancy was going to be like or can you even remember a decade ago before your pregnancy journey started and kind of like I mean I know I did now I had babies I started having babies 25 years ago so I I mean I didn't even know people had births at home on purpose back then right and I definitely didn't know that it was safe and could even be safer for a large majority of people um, and had no idea how gestational time correlated with menstrual cycles. And there was just so much I didn't know. And things, not just that I didn't know, but I just I flat out had misconceptions or believed myths about. Yeah. Is there anything like that for you? That well, you- I definitely didn't know about gestation as far as our cycles and mm-hmm. how that goes and all that. And I don't, I probably didn't know that after my first delivery. It was the second time around that I I got a book and read it. I mean, it kind of seems unfair when it comes to that, that we always hear nine months, nine months, pregnancy yeah. is nine months. And really, when you think about it, it's like, well, no, I mean, a cycle is 28 days. Multiply that by 10. Mm-hmm. That's 280 days. That's a gestational. So mm-hmm. even in fairness, we should be talking more 10 months than nine yeah. months. But then there's going to be some discrepancies about that too. You know, right. I may be more of a 293-day gestational, Yeah, you know, and somebody else may be 275 days. And so... Well, it really is unfair how we don't talk about that. It really is. Um, and that a due date is just a guest date. Mm-hmm. And we have a due month. Mm-hmm. And... Um, because even the second go around, even though I knew that I would likely go to my due date or beyond, mm-hmm. you just start feeling things sooner and everything. So mm-hmm. I kind of like had that little glimmer of hope that she was going to come sooner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I probably, I would say nine out of 10 times have a second time pregnant person mm-hmm. tell me, yeah, I went. 41 weeks the first time, or I went 40 weeks the first time, but I'm sure I'm going to go sooner this time. I'm just feeling yeah. things stronger. I'm feeling things, you know, different. It's just different. Right. I hear that a lot. It's just different. She's going to come early. He's going to come early. Yeah. And I'll always kind of smile and say, okay. Yeah, maybe. Because it probably won't. So just because I haven't mentioned this part yet either, we typically have around the same gestational time from pregnancy to pregnancy because it's based on our menstrual cycles which are very unique to us personally and not like a demographic of pregnant people. So we typically have around the same gestational time unless there are other factors that change that, like environmental factors or infection or babies being, you know, malpresented some way that could, you know, um, make those longer, um, you know. So unless there's a reason, we typically have around the same gestational time from pregnancy to pregnancy. And that's something I think that a lot of people don't realize either. Um, But it feels like we're kind of held hostage by our due dates. Truly. Well, I mean, there's a lot of decisions that are made based off of your due date. A lot. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some providers that start talking about induction at 39 weeks because that's when it's, quote, legal Mm -hmm. to have an induction. 
mm-hmm. um, for no emergency reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you haven't delivered by 41 weeks and a lot of practices, we're talking about an induction. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot yeah. with your due date. There really is. And due dates, so I usually recommend to my clients that when they announce their due date publicly, that they announce it as the 42-week and not a 40-week gestation. Because, especially Facebook, people get really excited and then they want to call you and they want to send you messages and they want to ask you if... Fall 2021. Yeah. (laughs) So that's a little little pregnancy hack that you can do if you're pregnant. Um, instead of revealing your actual due date, maybe add two weeks to that because that way people won't be hounding you at 38 weeks. Um, they'll be hounding you at 40 weeks. And personally, just um, while you're pregnant, have that 42-week, like you know yeah, by 42 weeks mm-hmm. you're going to yeah. be holding a baby or about to hold a baby. Yeah. Um, and so it's a lot easier to not be disappointed when 40 rolls around and you're still pregnant another week and a half. Yeah, and that would be so much fairer, I think, to people if we said your due date is 42 weeks. Like yeah. this is your due date and baby will more than likely come before that. Yeah. Instead of saying your due date is at this 40-week mark, and they can and then come so at 38. many people are like, okay, it's 41, yeah. it's 41 and three. What's wrong with me? Am I going to have to do something to make this happen when we both know babies don't stay in there right. forever? Well, and it stresses you out. It does. I don't know how many people have been um, patients of the birth center mm-hmm. and they have a hard cut day of mm-hmm. when it becomes a medical induction at the hospital. Right. And it stresses them out. And of course, you're not going to go into labor when you're uptight and stressed out about no. going into labor. No. Um, and it's uh, it's really unfair. Yeah, it is. So if we become king of the world, then that's <laughs> the first thing we're going to do is we're going to change due dates to 42. Yeah. All right. So in hindsight, looking back, Um, Mm -hmm. we've kind of talked about with your first pregnancy, you know, some of the things that you, uh, that came up for you that you didn't expect. Was there anything that was really surprising to you? Like, what did you find the most surprising with your first pregnancy? Um, With your body or with your intimacy level with your partner or family or strangers? Yeah. So the most like shocker was the immediate postpartum. Okay. Okay. I was not prepared for that. Mm -hmm. I was not expecting um, the emotions and I wasn't expecting my body. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Wasn't expecting um, breastfeeding to be the way it was. And I, I mean, I I did the classes. Right. But, you know, breastfeeding's the last chapter. Yeah. And the last class. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, you've got it by then. And you're yeah. just ready to have a baby. And who cares? All that. That's natural. It's going to yeah. come. You're like a senior in high school. You've already been to senior picnic. Exactly. You've already done all the things. I'm just doing like, theater what do and getting out of do? here. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. And I was not prepared for the immediate postpartum whatsoever. 
Um, I feel like that's pretty common too. You yeah. know, when I when I talk to clients, I feel like that's something that um that's probably their biggest surprise. And I think that maybe as a culture we don't do really well. Um because a lot of cultures really focus on the postpartum period. They mm-hmm. focus on like a community uh, support model for the postpartum period and other women in the community will support other women. Um, and I think that that's probably lacking a lot in our culture for the most part. I think there's some pockets um, mm-hmm. in the in the states that do that fairly well. But, um, you know, we don't really have a lot of traditions that surround the postpartum period like some cultures do. And so we're kind of like DIY in our own postpartum period based Mm -hmm. on like where we live. And if we, you know, a lot of us maybe don't have a lot of family that lives around us anymore. You know, that's that's different from a lot of other cultures too. You know, we're all so spread out family-wise. We don't just surround the postpartum person right afterwards and, you know, give her warm, nourishing liquids to drink and make sure that she's eating trace minerals and making sure that her hemoglobin levels are constantly rising and she's getting lots of good iron sources and help with, you know. So I think that that has a lot to do with it. Um, I also think that we rush back to our lives too quickly. It's a conversation that providers aren't having either. Mm -hmm. No one asks me, so what are your plans postpartum? Mm -hmm. Um, whenever we're talking about a postpartum visit with our provider, it's more of a, can I exercise? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, those are the things that we're talking about. Oh, yep, you're released to pick up more than 10 pounds mm-hmm. um, and not what really is going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So with each pregnancy, I feel like each pregnancy is its own unique little opportunity to learn. Um, what would you say that you learned with each of your pregnancies? Like if you could say, okay, this was the takeaway from Sam's birth and this was the takeaway from Finn's birth. Like, are they all kind of the same? Are they different? What no. did you learn? Um, they're way different. Um, so with Sam's birth, my first birth, I learned that we can prepare and we can expect things to go a certain way, but they're not going to necessarily go that way. And that's okay. Um, but we can learn from those experiences. In Lee's birth, I learned that... I am strong <laughs> and that um, our bodies are amazing and they truly are made to do this. Mm-hmm. John Solon, my third, um, that it's okay to be scared because I didn't touch on this when I talked about his birth, um, but it was so different from Finley's unassisted birth because I, there was a point of fear I was mm. so scared. Because you had time. You had yeah, time. and there was people there. Mm-hmm. Like, you were there, so mm-hmm. you could take that fear for me. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there was someone to um, put it off on. Mm-hmm. And um, then with Ellie's birth, the C-section, I just learned to surrender. Mm. Um, and to surrender to... <laughs> 
um, to what's going to happen. And that, again, that was so, so far um, away from how I had planned. Yeah. But it was still beautiful in its own way. Well, you worked really hard, um, you know, not just preparing for a fourth baby and what that was going to mean for your family, but, you know, there was a lot going on. And there was, I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So it was different Yeah. also. And I watched you you know, prepare and prepare and then be flexible and change your plans and even support other people during that whole time to, you know, have to change their plans and then watch you do that. And um, it was inspiring for me too, watching you. So, and I've done this a long time. Um. And I didn't know that a few months later I was going to have to make some really hard decisions for my child too. And just on a personal note, I want you to know that watching you prepare with such fierce love and such grace and such confidence really, um, it was there with me too when I had to make those decisions for my adult child um, in a very different context. So um, we're all connected and we're all trying to do the best we can. And I think having conversations like this is so helpful um, for us personally, but also for just our collective because we all, we all really do want the same things. Yeah. No matter what our race or religion or political party lines are drawn or how we define, you know, we all just, we all want the very best for our children and, um, pregnancy is such an opportunity mm-hmm. to ask some of those questions. And, you know, so not only having to navigate everybody else's opinions and um, perspectives, but then trying to figure out where we are comfortable with our own decisions. Yeah. And so all of it is an opportunity. And I think that um, that it's just such a beautiful time to reflect and figure out who we are and, you know, just build from that. So if you could give one single piece of advice to a newly pregnant person, you could only give one thing, what would it be? It would be to, um, and I do tell people this, to block out the negativity, Mm -hmm. to um, just don't even put yourself into those positions. Mm-hmm. Um, surround yourself with good stories. If there is a birth story on Facebook and it says trigger warning or something like that, don't read it. Mm-hmm. Um, don't watch the Gary videos. Right. <laughs> and don't, um, if someone does start in on the negative talk or whether it be, you're planning a primary C-section or planning a unmedicated birth in the ocean, like just mm-hmm. stop them and say, you know, this is what my family's choosing. I'm sorry that was hard for you. Um, because the negativity really does seep in and with mm-hmm. negativity comes fear. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. 
Well, Katie, it has been such a pleasure having you here at my kitchen table mm-hmm. chatting about one of my favorite things it's to chat fun. about. And um, if you want to get to know Katie a little bit better, we're going to have um, just her full bio in the show notes and um, maybe even a little picture of her unassisted yeah. birth because it's one of my favorite pictures. Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we will see you guys later. Bye.